Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Well, let me encourage you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter, chapter, I'm sorry, 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Now for this reason also, apply all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours, and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. As we look at this passage, again, one of the major things that Peter is doing in this second uh, book that he's written to, to these people is to help them to understand the false teachings that are around. And we've talked about it many times, the best way to, to identify a counterfeit or something that's false is to better know the real part. And so that is really what he's focusing in on right now is to understand, to be able to contrast the true Christian faith versus that which is counterfeit. So if you recognize some of these words and this list of qualifications or virtues you may say, hmm, I think I've heard that somewhere before. And if you think about it, more than likely you're thinking about what Paul wrote over in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, called the fruit of the Spirit. And I should have brought, got Jeff to bring his guitar. We could have sang the little ditty, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and see how fast we could sing it. Uh, but basically what we're seeing is a kind of a, a complimentary writing from Peter about the fruit of the Spirit. These are virtues, characteristics that we as Christians should have. Here's the kicker. They're not automatic. When we said, Lord, I want you to become Savior and Lord of my life, He did not put a computer chip in us and say, okay, now you have the fruit of the Spirit. He basically says, now it's time to grow in Christ-likeness. And that's what this is all about. Peter is saying, as children of God, we must constantly be focused on growing in Christ-likeness. And these are the virtues, the characteristics of Christ-likeness that he wants us to grow in. Now, this is not an all-inclusive list, but it's the primary things that we need to look at. Now, first, first few words say, now for this reason also. Well, what reason is he given? Well, usually we have to go back a verse or two and find out. So if you'll go back to verse 4, you'll see the reason. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So in the middle of that you'll say, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. The divine nature is becoming more Christ-like, being like Christ. 
So we become more like Him through this divine nature. So for this very reason, becoming more like Christ, we are to apply all diligence. Now, all diligence means that we got to work for it. Diligence, something that you stay after. You, you consistently do it day after day, day in and day out. You don't give up. You have to work for this to happen. Like I said, it's, it's not a, an automatic, we're not automatically programmed the day that we become a child of God. We must pursue these characteristics. And the simple way to do that is to live a surrendered life. Allow the Holy Spirit of God who now lives in us to become our guide in all that we say, do, think, and desire. And if we do that, then these uh, virtues and characteristics of Christ's likeness will begin to grow and grow and grow. Well, how do we do that? First of all, surrender to the Holy Spirit that lives within us. That's the simple part. But secondary is to grow closer to God. And the best way to grow closer to God is to know God better. Well, how do you do that? Well, you pick up His Word and read it regularly. Read, study, and meditate on the Word of God and let His Word ring true into your heart. The more you read, the more you understand Him, the more you get a clearer picture of who God is and what His uh, desire is for our lives. And as we do that, we will not only see God, but we will also see His Son Jesus and how He has uh, set the perfect example through His life here on earth. Uh, so we, we know that we're already saved, but so we're not trying to earn our salvation. But instead, let's go back to what Paul wrote one time. He says to work out your own salvation. It's found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now also much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So our working out our own salvation is not us trying to earn our salvation. It is allowing God to work in us and through us to do His good and acceptable and perfect will. And so that's what Paul is saying. That's pretty much what Peter is saying here as well. To diligently pursue this which is of God. So then he goes on and says, uh, apply all diligence in your faith, supply. Well, how do we supply these virtues and characteristics? It's not by our human efforts. It's by our faith in God. We must exercise our faith so that He is the one working in us. He is the one working through us to produce these fruits. Now you look at these fruits of the Spirit. Uh, that's why I'm calling because that's basically what Paul said over in uh, uh, Galatians. You say, well, you know, I've known of some people who are pretty perseverant. I've known some people who show brotherly love. You know, they were, they were good guys. You know, they really minister to their neighborhood, their community, their, their, their brothers and sisters. So can't we actually do these in our own strength and ability? Well, in a way, you can become more kind. You can, brotherly kindness... Some people have this natural desire to be perseverant. They just don't give up on something. They grab a bone by the teeth and don't let go. They just keep working until they work it out the way that they think is best. 
But the situation is, if you are doing it in your own strength and power, then you're basically doing it for your own glory. Look at what I did. But when we do it in God's Spirit, through our faith in Him, we grow in Christ's likeness. And if we grow in Christ's likeness, who gets the honor and the glory? Not us, but God. And so that's the difference between what we can do in our own flesh and our own abilities and what God can do through His Spirit working through us. So when we look at these, make sure you understand they're the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of self. This is what God wants to do in us and through us. So it's supplied by faith and not by our own abilities. So we look and we see that God created us in His own image. He made us uniquely different. Uh, we are in the image of God. We are like to be like Christ, but God's not going to take away our individuality. You are still who you were born as. God created you totally unique and different from every other person who's ever been born. However many billions or trillions of people who have lived, you are uniquely different than each and every one of them. God, as a child of God, has uniquely gifted you with unique spiritual gifts. Sometimes one uh, major gift, sometimes maybe another minor gift on top of that. He has uniquely gifted you with you know, your ability to, to minister. Some people have this wonderful gift of evangelism and ministry you know, missions like these two guys have done. You know, that's their heart's desire. It's a desire that God implanted. Others have a tremendous gift of hospitality and seeing the opportunity to, to minister to benevolently to needs in the community. God creates each and every one of us differently, but we all still need these virtues, these godly characteristics in our lives. And then God's going to balance those as to how He has gifted us. And so we may be uh, different spiritually gifted, but we are still one in Christ, and we need to have this likeness of God, this likeness of Christ. So then He says, through your faith, supply moral excellence. Moral excellence. That means we're just supposed to obey all the laws of the land and be good people, right? No. Yes, well, maybe we are supposed to do that. We are supposed to obey the laws of the land and be good people. But that's not what this is talking about. This is actually talking back to verse 4 where he uh, tells us, get back to that, He tells us, so that by, thee, by them you may be partakers of the divine nature. This is divine, not human. Uh, so this moral excellence is a divine characteristic. Is for us to see this divine nature that God's given us. We are no longer just earthly creations. Uh, basically what God says is that, uh, behold, you have become new. You are a new creature and behold, old things are now passing away. So we're supposed to be always increasing in this new creation that God's created as this divine nature. And as we do that, we will gain moral excellence. And that moral excellence is not by the morality of society, it's by God's morals. We've been dealing with those on Sunday morning as Jesus has been talking about the basically the Ten Commandments. He's been taking them one by one and saying, we, he basically said, you know, 
I did not come to, to uh, annul the law. I came to fulfill it. And he says, you know, not a single jot or tittle, little mark or smallest letter has ever changed out of the law. And he's talking about the moral law, the Ten Commandments, basically. And so he says, okay, not only are we looking at the letter of the law, but the heart of the law. And so that's the moral excellence is to say, Lord, I, I don't want to just be obedient to man's laws. I want to be obedient to your will in my life. So this moral excellence is God's virtues that we saw in the divine nature that he gives us. And something that we don't naturally have within us and say, Lord, I want this to fill me. I want you to fill me with these virtues, these characteristics that are being mentioned here. So this moral excellence is saying, Lord, I am no longer just a human being. I am now a child of God. I now have your spirit living in me. I now have your moral excellence, but I'm not where I need to be. And that's that working out your own salvation. That is our diligence of growing in Christ-likeness. How many of y'all have gotten where you're supposed to be? Anybody? Have any of us achieved Christ-likeness? Obviously not. I haven't. You haven't. You unfortunately would be lying if you thought that you had. But does the, does the, the premise that we will never on this earth achieve say, well, I'll just give up. If I can't achieve it, I'll give up. You know, that's the way we do with a lot of things. If we say, well, that goal is not achievable, then why achieve, uh, attempt that goal? Well, we will one day achieve that goal. It's called glorification. That's after we have lived our life here on the earth and we go and to be fitted with a perfected body, with perfected heart, and we go and we're now in the presence of God Almighty. That's the only time that we will achieve that goal. But let me, let me just be real honest with you. There's a lot of Christians that have this, this notion, well, I'm saved. That's all that matters. I'm going to heaven, and that's all that matters. I really don't care how close to godliness I can achieve. I'm just going to be glad that I get to get in the door. If you really have that mindset there's a good chance you're not a true child of God in the first place. I'm just going to be real honest with you. Here's the reason. Every time I study the Word of God, when it deals with salvation, I see lordship. Lordship. In Romans chapter 10, it says, If thou shalt confess Jesus as Lord. That means that He is no longer just somebody who was nailed on a cross and died for your sins. He is Lord of your life. He has authority and control over us. If He is Lord of your life, then there is no way possible for you to say, okay, Jesus died for my sins. I'm going to heaven, and that's all that matters because He's not Lord. If He's Lord, then you will have an inner desire to grow and be more like Him every day. So that moral excellence now leads towards knowledge. Well, we've dealt with knowledge before. We've dealt with that on Sunday morning, as a matter of fact. We've dealt with that on in First uh, and Second Peter, knowledge. Well, it's not just head knowledge, is it? It's not just 
How many of y'all ever just cram for a test and memorize it just enough to take the test, then after the test you just kind of hit the flush button like, who cares if I know this anymore? Well, that's head knowledge, and that's temporary head knowledge. This is intimacy. This is knowing God intimately. That means that we develop a relationship with Him. And so this moral excellence brings an intimate knowledge of God. We gain that intimate knowledge of God not only by reading and studying His Word, but having that, that quiet time, that, that intimate time with Him through prayer. If you're not having an intimate time in prayer with God, where you're speaking to Him as if He's sitting right next to you, actually He's closer than that, He's, he's in you through His Spirit, then you're really not gaining a true intimacy with God. We need to have a balance of, of reading, studying, meditating on His Word to learn more about Him, how He's worked in history, how He's still working in our lives today, and to build that intimacy by talking to Him intimately. He is our Father. He loves us more than anybody who's ever loved you on the face of this earth. He cares about you. He wants the best for us. And He wants to have this intimate relationship. So the best way to do that is to surrender our hearts, our minds to Him and develop this intimate time where He is able to speak to us and through us. Well, that knowledge now brings us to self-control. Now, self-control, there's a little bit of a misnomer. Self means that I can do it myself. That's not really what it means. Uh, I think the King James uses the word temperance. And I, I've always kind of looked at it like this. Uh, it's, it's really not biblical, so I'm just going to be up front with you. But have you ever heard about tempered steel? That's where you heat the steel up to glowing, and you pound it, and you bend it over on itself, and you pound it. You keep doing this over and over and over, and it tempers the metal to where it's harder and harder than it was in its original uh, state. Well, that's basically allowing God to heat us up through the trials of life for Him to prove Himself over and over and over again so that our faith grows and grows and grows so that our uh, self-control is not in us, but it is in the knowledge that God is faithful. So basically, self-control uh, is another virtue or characteristic that God wants us to grow in. And it's no longer giving in to the emotions about what's happening around me. It's very easy to get depressed about what's happening in our world today, right? If you, if you tune into any news station, doesn't matter if you think it's liberal or conservative or in between, it is heartbreaking what's happening in our world today. I'm not talking about just Russia and Ukraine. I mean, there's so much going on in our world that is totally ungodly. But not only what's happening in our world, but what happens to you and I on a daily basis. You know, families like Emily going through, uh, you know, the heartbreak of Every single time that they get good news, seems like bad news happens again. You know, this self-control is what do we do with all these emotions that bombard us? What do we do uh, when, when things just seem out of control? Well, I can't do anything about most of the things that happen. You can't either. So how do we deal with all these emotions, this fretfulness, this worrying about what's going on? It's simply called surrender. 
saying, I may not be able to do anything, but I know who can. I know that my God is faithful. He will never leave me, nor will He forsake me. He is my strength. He is my comforter. He is my all in all. And it is in Him that I trust. So instead of getting angry and frustrated and mentally unstable over the things that happen in our world and happen to us personally, we now have this self-control where we say, God is in control and I trust Him. And that self-control is to surrender our emotions, our feelings to God and say, God, I just trust that whatever the outcome, you're in control and you'll be with me and guide me through it. And so then self-control brings perseverance. That perseverance can also be uh, described as patience. And it's basically uh, the ability to handle the pressures and problems of life. Uh, perseverance is basically saying, okay, life is not going to be easy. It never has been. People who have an easy life basically just don't do anything. They, they, don't, they don't allow themselves to be confronted by anything. They're not exposed to the things of the world. They, I guess they're living a, a hermit-type life or something. That's about the only person, type of person I would know that, that doesn't need patience and perseverance. We all need it. Every day, we need to be moving forward. And there's always Satan trying to push us back. So the perseverance is saying... God has a plan for my life, and I want to be faithful to God's plan. And so I'm going to keep taking those spiritual steps forward each and every day, even though I face adversity, even when Satan persecutes me, even when things don't go the way that they should. Sometimes the, the trials that come are actually God testing me, you know, James basically says, count it all joy when you face these trials. Why? Because it helps to grow perseverance. Sometimes God gives us trials so that we will grow more faithful in our godly walk. Saying, Lord, I hit a brick wall today, but I still believe in my heart that this is where you want me to be, so I'm going to persevere. I'm going to keep moving forward unless you show me otherwise. And so this perseverance is... Uh, with God, all things are possible, and we never need to uh, worry about God not giving us the ability to do what He tells us to do. So like all these virtues, we must exercise them because, let's just be honest, by nature, most of us are lazy. We don't want to persevere. We want the easy way out. We want to find the, the easiest solution to our problems and, and not allow ourselves to be confronted. We don't like confrontation. We don't like pain and suffering. We don't like to, to, to be persecuted. So if we can avoid those things, that's the way our human nature wants us to go. But as a child of God, God says, life is not going to be easy. It never has been for a child of God. It won't be for you. So you need to practice perseverance. Stay the course no matter what. So then perseverance brings godliness. I just mentioned a minute ago, none of us have achieved yet, right? We're not godly yet, but He wants us to grow more and more like Him in our lives each and every day. And actually the word godly translated actually means to worship well. That means that as we grow in a as a child of God, 
we will grow in our ability to worship God. We will grow in our knowledge of who He is, what He wants to do in our lives, why we worship Him, how we worship Him, how worship is not just a one-hour Sunday morning event, but it is a lifestyle. It is something that we live out each and every day of our lives, each and every hour of our lives, that worship is from the heart of joy because of who lives in us. So worshiping well is having a right relationship with God as well as our fellow man because God, every time, every time somebody asked Jesus, well, what's the greatest commandment? He would go into love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. He always added that. Did you notice? He never said, just focus on God and leave the world alone. Don't worry about anybody else. Just focus on God. He says, love God with everything that's in your being and love your brothers. Love your fellow man. Love your neighbors as yourself. And folks, don't be foolish. Remember the guy who said, well, Lord, who's my neighbor? Thinking, well, it's just people who are just like me, other believers. No. (laughs) Jesus said, no. Even your worst enemy is your neighbor. Remember, he gave the uh, illustration of the Good Samaritan, the man who would have hated him, he went and ministered to. So, to persevere bringing godliness, godliness means to worship well, to, to have a right relationship with God as well as our fellow man, to do what is right in God's eyes, to do what is right and holy, regardless of what society says. So godliness now brings us to brotherly kindness, and we've already kind of touched on that through that. Um, The only way that we can truly show brotherly kindness is if we have a right relationship with God. Because just like I shared, you know, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all, all that you have, and then to love your neighbor as yourself, and that's your brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is basically seeing each other as created in God's image. No matter if somebody's good or bad in your viewpoint, they are still your brother, your sister, and we are to love them. Love them with the same love that God has given us. And that brotherly kindness leads us to that word love. A love here is is the copy love. It is God's unconditional love. The same love that he showed to us when Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. This unconditional love it's not only for us to, to love God with, which is easy because He first loved us, but to love our neighbors as well as our enemies. See, this sacrificial love uh, is willing to love even when it's inconvenient and costly for us to do so. The Good Samaritan loved his neighbor, his enemy, even when it cost him to do so. He had to take time out of his trip to bandage the man's wounds, to carry him to an inn, and then it cost him to pay whatever it costs for that innkeeper to keep the bandages fresh and to take care of him and feed him until he came back. That's inconvenient. That's costly. And the guy who he did this for probably would have spit on him if he had a chance because he hated Samaritans. Now, That's called unconditional love. And that's what God wants us to practice. It's easy to love 
the people in this room, isn't it? Because we're, we're all in the same boat. We're children of God. We're part of the family that makes up this local church. It's easy for us to show brotherly love to each other because we are like-minded, like-spirited. But agape love is loving others in spite of our differences. Think about that. Brotherly love is loving people who are like you. Agape love is brother is loving people in spite of them not being like you. Which is easier? Obviously, brotherly love of the fellowship of Christ. Agape love is still what God is commanding. And it's at the end, which means that you kind of need to start mastering the others so that it will build to being able to experience agape love towards others. Now, he puts an if statement here. Look at verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, then they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. If. In other words, you may be a child of God, you may have given your life to Christ at some point in your life, but doesn't mean that you automatically have these qualifications, these characteristics in your life. But if you do have these qualities in your life, then God says you are not rendered useless. You're not rendered unfruitful. I don't know why Peter used the negative. I would have chosen to use the positive. I would have said, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, then you are useful to God and you are fruitful to God because you have knowledge in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Personally, I think saying things in the positive is better than the negative. I don't know why it's spoken that way, but there's probably a reason. But we need these qualifications, these qualities, these uh, virtues in our lives. So we need to exercise them each and every day so that we will become more fruitful, more useful in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. And notice that other part, if you have these qualities and are increasing, that means that God expects these to increase as we mature in age and in spirit. Every day we should become more and more Christ-like. These virtues should grow in our lives. And as they grow, then we will be more useful and more fruitful for God. And notice where the source is in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't really exercise these spiritual fruits unless you have a true knowledge of Jesus Christ. You've got to know Him as Savior and Lord. You've got to know Him as an intimate part of you through His Spirit living in us. And so we need to see Him uh, who gives us His divine nature, which we saw back in verse 4. He is the one who gives us His Spirit that we receive at salvation. He is the one who enables us to have these spiritual Christian values and virtues. And so as we worship Him, may we strive to grow more and more like Him. And then verse 9 is the warning. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. The way Peter states this, he states it that you can be a Christian and not experience these virtues. But if you are a Christian and you lack these qualities, then it's like you're blind 
You're short-sighted. It's like, well, you know, I remember back when I was nine years old and I walked down an aisle and I shook the pastor's hand and I said, I want to give my life to Christ. And he took me and he baptized me and I became a member of the church. It's almost like you've forgotten that. It's not really important to you. If that's not important to you, then are you truly a child of God? So Peter's not saying you're not saved, but he's kind of pointing the question, maybe you need to examine your relationship with God in the first place. Because you're not, y'all excuse me, you're not even remembering your day of salvation. You're not remembering that day that Jesus came in and purified your heart from sin. You're not remembering uh, what God intends for you to be. He loves you. He wants you to grow in Christ's likeness. He's giving you a list of virtues that are... He's giving you a list of virtues that He wants us to grow in. Do you think God's serious about these? God doesn't waste His breath. When He inspired Peter to write this and also inspired Paul to write almost the exact same thing over in Galatians, especially any time that things are repeated in the Bible, they're very important to God. And so I, I see these as very important. And then you got to go back to why they're there in the first place. Why is Peter writing these things in the kind of introduction part of 2 Peter. Remember, the purpose of 2 Peter is for us to identify and overcome false teachers. Well, the only way that we can be prepared to identify and overcome false teaching is to be in a relationship with God where He, through His Spirit, will enable us to do that. The only way we can do that is to grow closer to God each and every day to grow in these Christ-like virtues and characteristics. And so, I'm not saying you need to get you a chart and write all these down here and say, okay, I moved up a step of the ladder today in this one. Uh, I need to work on this one tomorrow. You know, I'm not saying you need to do that. What I'm saying is live a surrendered life to the Spirit of God and He will naturally guide you through this process. He will challenge you. He'll say, Steve, here's an opportunity for you to take a step of faith and minister in my name. No, it's not going to be convenient for you to do. It may cost you something to do it, but I want you to do this, and you will know it in your heart. And when you take that step of faith and you find victory in what God is able to do in you and through you, you naturally grow in these virtues. That's what we need to do. And... I'll be honest with you, as you grow, it's going to be challenging. You're going to find setbacks. You're going to find obstacles because Satan's going to do everything possible to keep you from growing. But the diligence, the perseverance is what we've got to continue. No matter what obstacles I face, I know that this is what God wants me to be. And so I'm going to keep moving forward, even if it's inconvenient, even if there's persecution, even if there's obstacles, even if it costs me greatly, I'm going to keep faithing God and taking those steps of faith every day. And as we do, we become more Christ-like. We grow closer to God, and He blesses us 
in ways that we can only imagine. We haven't arrived yet, have we? We haven't achieved the goal. We never will until we leave this earth and go to be with the Lord and He glorifies us. But I, I would rather enter into heaven closer to the goal than further away. Something that we always fail to remember is that even we as children of God will be judged by our Lord. We won't be judged according to our sins because they will have been forgiven. They've been wiped away. They're no longer on the slate. But we will be judged by our works, by how we faithfully fulfilled God's calling on our life. He just gave us a list of works, of things to do, ways to grow closer to Him. So I'd much rather walk into heaven or enter however, I don't guess you walk in. I don't know how you get there. I know how you get there. I just don't know, you know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'd rather walk, you know, go into heaven closer to God than further away. I don't want there to be smoke the smell of smoke on me. Like, whoo, I just made it. We need to love God enough to live for Him every day. And love Him enough to grow in His love for us. Well, let's close the prayer then. Lord, thank You again for our time together. And Lord, Your Word always challenges us with where are we spiritually today? Where should we be spiritually? And how do we get there? Lord, it's a step of faith each and every day, allowing your spirit to be in control of who we are and how we live. And as we do that, Lord, we will grow more Christ-like. We will grow in these godly virtues. May we be found faithful in doing that each day. Lord, continue to be with the needs that we've shared here today. And continue to guide us. Help us to apply these words to our lives as we leave this place. Help us to accept the calling upon our lives to do whatever it is that you desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.